Welcome to Crest. I'm Tom Anderson, and as we approach the back end of September, our episodes are about to come thick and fast as we prepare to wrap up Season 1 for 2020. We're coming back in 2021, and to that end, our Instagram will soon have a link to a survey monkey, which we're asking listeners to fill out so that we can act on feedback and ideas and therein take the show from strength to strength during the off-season. If you don't have Instagram, then you can still do the survey by simply emailing castcrest at gmail.com with just one word in the title of the email, survey. No need to punctuate or add conversational pleasantries. We'll reply with the link when it's ready. Besides having your say on the shape Crest takes into next year, another reason to do the survey is that the kind folk at the surf hardware company Obsessive Disorder have put up some prizes. So if you leave your email, you'll be entered into the draw. Your data will be safely used in line with all legal red tape too, we promise. This week, we're releasing shows on both Monday and Thursday. This will allow us to align with October the 1st, which is a historic day in Welsh surf history, and the opportunity to release the first part of a certain icon's interview on that date is an opportunity not to be missed. It's the worst-kept secret by now that Rhino and I might have spoken to Jones Senior as well during our recent visits to Llangeneth, and that will make up our season finale in two episodes' time. Before that, I've just spoken to two wonderful people in Chris Nelson and Demi Taylor, and do they have some tales from a decade of hosting one of the world's foremost surf film festivals? Of course they do. Enjoy. the show i'm speaking to the couple who founded and run the approaching lines and london surf film festivals from putting on steph gilmore's premiere in the big smoke to helping upcoming and aspiring film directors break through their events have often become crucial stops along any world surfers european leg listen as they recall some of the personalities and situations the festivals have presented as well as the movies which have made it international purveyors of the finest surf stoke After jacking in the day jobs to become nomadic writers, Chris Nelson and Demi Taylor's footprint guides to surfing in Britain and Europe dropped at a time when publishers were eating up anything surf. Building on Demi's experiences from her days in the Roxy PR department, the couple then hit on a winning formula in running the inaugural London Surf Film Festival. In the decade since, Chris and Demi's events experiences have seen them also develop the Approach in Lines Festival in Newquay and a raft of specialty surf contests. And in the process, it has been their job to hang out with some of the most interesting and high-profile characters in the surf world. In the water, they're both known for supremely stylish approaches to wave riding as well, on an incredible range of craft, always thinking outside the box... I could quiz them all day about the various items they've ridden in their time and the exotic waves they've done it on. I'll be trying to cover it all in the coming hour. Here they are. It's uh, Chris and Demi. Welcome to Crest, guys. Hey. Hi, Hi, Tom. Thanks for having us. It's an absolute pleasure, guys. Uh, How's it looking down there in uh, Cornwall today? It's windy here, but we've got a big swell on the way. Yeah, I think same, same. Like, I think we've got 50 mile an hour winds coming. Um, but it's weirdly warm out there. It almost feels like we could have a hurricane. Yeah, nice. One continent, not, I know. Yeah. And uh, have you you've got places to surf for if it gets really big and blustery, or have you got or have you got to get sort of down onto the south coast if that happens? But there are places, that, but it's like it's our busiest time of year, so we probably won't be heading there at the moment because yeah. it's full a of surfers and b of people on um foam bodyboards hey but also um like really bad sewage yes at the moment as well because obviously heavy rain um busy season uh really great time for the uh sewage to all spill out yeah hey i've got to go to sidmouth tomorrow for for two days and that place was in the news for sewage wasn't it it was the place that had that that fat bird growing underneath it yeah nice and in fact i haven't thought about that it might be there while the while the the storm comes through so i I don't know i don't know if you can surf there or not maybe i should shove a board in the car 
Uh, anyway, yeah. let's talk about your um... a, a brown board. Yeah. <laughs> so we can fit in. Yeah. Well, we need those round here anyway, where where we live. The water's brown all the time. Makes the tube nice and dark though. <laughs> when 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 they come along. Um, so let's talk about um, the the festivals that you guys um, run and how how all of that got started. Because uh, I remember the first time I saw that there was a a London surf film festival happening. I suppose I, I was overcome by that kind of, uh, you know, like the, the coast dwellers sort of prejudice against the London surf. I'm like, what? London surf scene? And then when I went there, the London surf scene was amazing and like really sort of fabulous and, and, and happening. And you guys were sort of um, the conductors to the whole piece. So how did that come about, having a, having a surf film festival you know, in London? Um, well... I was writing a book about cold water surfers and I met a guy in New York called Tyler Brewer and Tyler ran the New York or founded the New York Surf Film Festival and we were chatting about the New York Surf Film Festival and how it came about and basically Tyler was going because Tyler's brother lives in the UK so he knew what a vibrant scene we had here and he said how come you don't have a festival like that in the UK and it kind of made us we we were sitting around the kitchen table one day going how come we don't have a festival like that in the uk you know how come no one's done that and we basically we can we were chatting weren't we and we went well why don't we do it yeah and i think it was that culmination as well of sort of realizing what a vibrant creative scene you're part of and the fact that there wasn't really an outlet for it and i know a lot of people have gone why did you take it to london and sort of quite simply, so I'm from the southwest, and Chris is from the northeast. So, so it's halfway. We wrestled a bit, and then we thought, well, actually, why not London? Why not take it somewhere where the you know you have great international transport links, where you're taking it out of a community, so um, it's actually open to everybody. It's not that it's you know a Cornwall surf film festival, so. You know, yeah. the mighty Welsh community wouldn't feel part of it. We wanted it to be open to everyone and accessible yeah. to everyone. So strangely, yeah, it made us go, let's take it to the city. And that was one of the big challenges of the very first one that we did, because I think people thought with it being based in London, it was going to be, you know, uh, kooks and it was going to be like Black London taxis with surfboards on the roof and, you know, showing... The Endless Summer on Repeat, which is a great film, but isn't necessarily reflective of, like, our time and place. So curating the first festival and getting the the tone right for the first festival was really important because it was a core festival for core surfers. And I think people in London responded to that. Yeah. And, of course, you you could pull in proper stars by doing it in London as well because you guys have had some incredible figures from the world of surfing come to London Surf Film Festival and then it's your job to look after them for a couple of days and entertain them and sort of show them around. That must be amazing. Who who sort of has stood out to you? I mean, I remember Stephanie Gilmore going there and it was like, um, you know, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's anyone in the world that would starstruck, that would make me more starstruck. Um, you know, I, I did get starstruck when I met the astronaut, Chris Hadfield, literally couldn't talk. Um, but, you know, generally when you meet surfers, you know, you think, oh, you're, you're, you might be a good surfer. But she was there in London and sort of, you know, yeah. Who, who stood out? Stephanie Gilmore, I imagine. And who else? Yeah, I think for me, she really stood out. But also because she came, not just her, but she brought Laura Enova with her and her sister, who's her manager and agent, Whitney. And then she brought the director, Ava. And then we had the editor, Isabel. So we had this massive tribe of super inspiring surf women. Um, and you had Stephanie in the centre of it, just shining like this beacon. And it's that thing that, that they say, isn't it, that you should never meet your heroes because they're never going to live up to it. But she absolutely lived up to it and beyond you know, I've never seen anyone take so much time with every single person they meet to, I don't know, she must have had her photo taken with 400 people. Yeah. I mean, and there was no stress, there was no flap. She she was who she seems to be. Um, yeah. 
She did about it, three hours of selfies after the screening. <laughs> I mean, there were like 500 people there and she must have had her photo taken with every single one. Totally. And also her movie that she was showing was such a, a frank and honest insight into what makes her tick. And, and often you think that some of these ultra-competitive people, they have to sort of have that kind of protective shell around themselves. You know, I, I find... Carissa Moore is is brilliant at just giving an interview where she just says, I'm really stoked and everything's really lovely. And, and, and then I wonder how somebody makes that decision to sort of, you know, show right inside them. You know, she talked about being attacked and, and all of that. And then she sits there in the cinema next to everyone, watching everyone watch those stories unfolding. Uh, um, amazing. And actually... Who else is... Sorry, go I on, Demi. I was going to say, and in that Q&A afterwards, she was she was really frank and open because it was at quite a challenging time in the surf industry. It's when, do you remember that contentious advert came out? With her allegedly in it, although I think it was actually a body double, wasn't it? (laughs) I can neither confirm nor deny. You know, and it opened up this big conversation about um, how women are portrayed in surfing. So I think that was really interesting. She was quite put on the spot, but she she rose to the challenge she answered it brilliantly and she kind of shut down any detractors yeah. um and that was i think it was really inspiring really motivating for everyone in the audience not just women mm. but absolutely everyone she just took everyone on that journey so yeah she she really is a beacon and uh, yeah just for the for the listeners benefit there we're talking about the Roxy advert aren't we for the for the Roxy Pro that ran alongside the Quicksilver Pro in France and the the French advert showed uh, the sorry French the the men's contest advert showed people getting barreled and the uh, Roxy Pro advert was sort of basically a modeling advert wasn't it and then um a couple of major figures in the surf industry actually then lost their jobs for sort of you know ill conceived social media comments in response to that and uh, it did give the industry a real big shake-up and I think one wonders whether we'd be in the situation where you know the women are looking at potentially having a pipe masters and you know where the women got got the trestles contest alongside it and you know if, if if that it had to happen at some point didn't it and I don't think Stephanie necessarily chose to be at the center of that but she was flung into it wasn't she yeah mm. yeah because I think she's always had that bounce and I think it's what she said you know um she uh she enjoys surfing in a bikini. She enjoys being a woman. That is part of who she is. But she's also a really great surfer. You can be both. Yeah. Um, I think that's one of the things that I really like about the festival is um, it gives the audience a chance to meet the people who make the films and star in the films. And we do Q&As that are open to the audience and they get to ask them questions and they don't shy away from asking them questions. You know, I mean... Because doing a lot of the Q&As on the stage, you know, I tee them up, but then the audience asks some really penetrating questions. It, mm. uh, and I think that's one thing about UK audiences is, is they're not just going to serve up fluff questions. They want to know the nitty gritty and they want to get into the details Absolutely. with these people. Yeah. Who else has stood out that you've hosted at London Surf Film Festival then? Um, oh, Rob Machado. I mean, Rob Machado, amazing. Yeah like a total legend um just everything everything you expect like he is the person you expect him to be um he just takes time to talk to you um he he will open up about all the amazing experiences he's had in his life um just someone who's been there at some of the most critical moments in in surf history you know the Kelly Slater high five, you know, yeah. being able to ask him about the high five, you know, like that, yeah. you know, a lot of people think decided that the world title that year and, and being able to ask him about ultimately his journey to become one of the first free surfers, you know, someone who changed the course of, of surf history really as a prof- as a free surfing professional, you know, to step yeah. away from competitions. Um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, within the festival itself, sorry, Demi, were you going to say something? Oh no, I was just, I was just, uh, you know, when you're just in that wonderful little reminiscent bubble, and you're like, yes, he's a total legend. Yeah. He's everything <laughs> you hoped he'd be. Yeah. <laughs> and and what about sort of fa- favorite moments that have happened uh, with you know, you must have got experienced some some interesting situations there. 
Oh, like going out clubbing with Albie Layer and everyone after their oh. film. Was oh, yeah. And I have to say, actually, Albie, Albie and, and his crew, Albie and Tory Meister. On the dance floor, yeah. I mean, they don't just have big wave moves. <laughs> They've got small floor moves. And little wave moves, because Albie Layer won the... Um... Surf Snowdonia invitation up in North Wales, didn't he? The first ever contest yeah, in a of course he did. in a wave garden. Um, what else? We lost Keparasira in when we did the Approaching Lives Festival oh. in Newquay. Um, we lost Keparasira about two in the morning, didn't we? I think he got stolen. He got stolen by some fans. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Our our one job: look after Kepa. Because he had to. He's a lovely character, isn't he? Oh, yeah. he's so good. But it's not just like, so you obviously have like those amazing big name people who come that everyone, you know, immediately knows they want to meet. Like whether it's someone like a big wave star, like we said, like Albie or Paige Arms, who kind of like really sort of shone a light on the women's big wave world. Um, Like Keith Malloy, he came in our first year. He was, he was like a man mountain and also just had this sort of rich vein of stories to tap. So we've had really big, iconic people, and like Kai Neville's been to the festival. He came and presented yeah. um, one Yeah, of that was his... Approaching Lines Nuki, wasn't it? He exactly. Came to that, yeah, I think and, you actually uh, did yeah. that Q&A, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I did, yeah. It was uh, interesting. With Brendan Givens, he was, wasn't he? Yeah. I asked him about uh, the... the the clothes he was wearing, I pointed to the, the, the. I think I think it didn't go down that well. I pointed at the crowd, and they were all sort of dressed in all the same outfits as all the Kai Neville surfers. And I said, "Look, what have you done, Kai, to the fashion industry?" And uh, not one person in the audience laughed. It was like, tight, oh. tight trousers and white socks. <laughs> it was everyone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Really interesting, though, the way he um, shook up the sort of formula for surf movies as well, didn't he? Because he sort of came along as like basically his, you know, his thing is he just doesn't care about what's gone before, you know, no no sense of um, being tied to traditions of genre or what, you know, what expectations are. And and also the same with the sort of surfing that, that his his athletes do, isn't it? Yeah, and and I uh, that's one of the things about the festival is you really see how a filmmaker will come along and have a vision and then how that resonates through the following years. And people yeah. go, um, oh yeah! They take that inspiration and run with it. Um, yeah, yeah. I think someone like um, Joe G's also had a massive influence on people, um, yeah. and he, he's often referenced as when people are talking about where their inspiration comes from. His name comes up time and time again. But I think with yeah. Kai, it's interesting because didn't he work with? Hadn't he come up through Taylor Steele? Yeah. And actually, although I think, his I think work, he interned for him or something, didn't he? At, yeah. the, at the start, yeah. You can kind of see that sort of influence in his work, I think. But it's more that the surfers that he works with are very true to, like his time and place in surf history. Like it feels very current, very now. Um, you, you know, like I think he was the first person where we all went, oh, actually, when it's choppy and shitty that's the time to go out and bust airs and do something different. Yeah. It's like surfing isn't just about perfect waves in Indonesia. It can look like anything. And I think he yeah. really helped people remember that. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, when you actually exactly look right. at the, the, yeah. the waves in those films, mm. you know, like you'll have Chipper Wilson or Dion Aegis and they're out in absolute hideous onshore slop, but they're just yeah. busting these massive airs. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that he shoots them in that cinematic way, you you almost don't notice how bad the surf is. No. Yeah. Under under the sort of sand, I remember one section of Dionegeus, you know, so 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 you can't even see the bottom of the wave. So the bottom turn, the most fundamental part of good surfing, is is just hidden. Yeah, exactly. He's like that. Nah, you don't need to see that. Yeah. Yeah. You just it's what's going on above the wave that matters. Exactly. Mm. And I love that. I love the way filmmakers help you change your perspective about what you're doing and what you're seeing. Mm. Yeah. And you've done everyone a service this uh, spring by the Lockdown Surf Film Fest. And and that turned out to be massive. You know, you, you, where did that idea come from? And that must have been a, a mission to organise. It's funny. It's like, like looking back on it, we went, it was quite an emotional response to that really specific time. And it was sort of early March, wasn't it? 
Yeah, and we were looking at, like, on Instagram. It was before we went into lockdown, but the Spanish were already in lockdown, and we were seeing our friends. Like, Kepa Asiro was posting, you know, little videos of him at his window peering out and going, oh, you know, I, we can't go outside. And we were like, wow, it, can you imagine being in that position? And we knew it was coming our way, and we were like what are we going to do? Like, what's our response going to be? You kind of went, we sort of went, how do we bring everyone together and, and make everyone feel like, yes, this is hideous, but uh, the community's still here. We can still get together. We can still enjoy the things we enjoy. We can still talk to one another. There can still be that dialogue. And we went, oh, how can we do that? Oh, I know. So we kind of reached out. We kind of put together a list of like some of our favourite films that we've shown at the festival, um, some of our, you know, favourite and closest filmmakers that we've worked with. Um, and then we just sort of set out to contact them to say, would you like to share your film with the surf community? And overwhelmingly, everyone just said yes, immediately. They went, yeah, of course. Because I think, again, like I said, it was, it was such an emotional time. It was such an emotional response that, yeah, I think everyone just went, yes, we need to feel connected. And that was one mm. of the amazing things about it was that people came together as a global community. So we were like, well, let's contact, you know, filmmakers. We, we, we were like, it's not just a British thing. It's not just a European thing that we're going through. It's people in America. It's people in South America. Um, it's It's people in Japan. So the idea was to have... A weekly screening where everybody could sit down together and watch a surf film, um, have it available for 24 hours so it can go around the world, and then do a Q&A with the filmmaker and chat to them about how they're getting through lockdown and how the film came about. Um, and yeah, we shared, we basically went, let's bring in as many people as possible to be a part of this. So, like, we... We would do some of the Q&As, wouldn't we? But we would also bring in other people. So like David Lee Scales in America and Tyler Brewer. Um, we got Sancho, who founded, you know, Surf Film Festival. He did yeah. a Q&A with the Gauchos Del Mar guys about their film in Spanish, you know, yeah. so that people who who didn't speak English could be a part of the festival. Um so, yeah, the idea was just to bring as many people together. Like Nathan Myers did an interview with um, one of the filmmakers. Who, who did he do? Oh, God. Do you know what? It was so wonderful. We had so many people just pulling together. Yeah. So Nathan from Surfers Journal did one of the interviews. Um, so, yeah, we just reached out and, and we were amazed by... I mean, literally everybody said yes. You know, and I think I think it's because they could relate to, mm. you know, we're all surfers, we're all in this together. How do we pull together as a community? Um, yeah. And was it all day, every day for you guys then, organising that? Um, I'm going to say it was perhaps more work than we had anticipated <laughs> at the time. Um, but you know what? I, I actually think that that was a good thing. Because it was such a strange time um, and we actually weren't surfing. Like we kind of just went, I think everyone made a, like their own decision, didn't they, about how they were going to react to the lockdown that happened. And it, it just wasn't right for us. Um, so actually having a different focus for surfing was really helpful. Yeah. And yeah, I think having that interconnected feeling. Um, but yes, it it. It was quite a lot of work, but... And it was also nice to reconnect with films that we'd screened previously at the festival yeah. because, you know, obviously you do these films and you put them out there and you do interviews with the filmmakers and you try and get the films as much exposure as possible and then they're there in the back of your minds and then you revisit them and you go, actually, that was an amazing film. And then to go back yeah. and touch in with the filmmakers or the stars and find out how their lives have, you know, progressed yeah. since then... Yeah. It was actually really great. Yeah, and getting to sort of trail their, you know, their new projects or 
So while we were saying, you know, yes, please, can you share with us these projects that we've previously screened? The idea was that you could watch that for free, but then perhaps you'd go and sort of support that filmmaker if you really enjoyed their film by going and watching one of their more recent films and, and paying for that privilege. So then you're like paying into yeah. the cup and helping support independent filmmaking. And that's a really good point you make there, because in that kind of festival setting, often a big moment happens, like the screening of Stephanie in the water, and then you're doing the Q&A, and then you're looking after people, and then you're in a club, and then the next day there's another movie, and actually being able to savour what the movie was about and you know, and then the, the response to it, you can't do. So I suppose that, that idea of revisiting something for a second time um, puts you more in the moment than perhaps you are. Well, or is it more in the moment or less in the moment? I don't know. Um, I think it also it's a good thing anyway. People put these films out, and you and people, you know, as an audience, you get to be a part of their lives. But then people's lives move on, and things happen. Like so, you know, obviously, Albie had that horrendous injury, you know, at Jaws. So be, being able to catch up with Albie and find out about how he's doing now, how that changed his life. You know, yeah. Mikey de Temple, we showed his film, but then obviously Mikey had the, the heart operation, which has obviously been a bit, you know, affected his life. So just being able to touch in and, and almost, you know, bring people's stories up to date and find out how their lives have changed since they screened at the festival um, mm. was was really interesting. Yeah, totally. And you'd finished... Um, the editing work on the project that you're doing. Let, let's talk about that now with uh, Leanne Curran, CJ Mirror and Chris McLean uh, translate or, or or was that still going on simultaneous to that uh, Demi? Um, so so this is a, a project. Yeah, tell us about that project and, and where that's at and, and what it is exactly. So translate um, is the latest project which is a collaboration between um, Chris McLean who's an award-winning filmmaker. We've screened countless of his films he's a british filmmaker um his first film was uncommon ideals that won the very first um shorties which is the short film strand at the london Surf film festival and so translate is the latest collaboration between himself and composer cj mirror who has actually scored all of chris's films since the very beginning so they have this almost 10-year relationship um, and Translate, we premiered it at the London Surf Film Festival last year, um, and it was a live audiovisual performance. So the idea was that Chris had um, filmed across Europe for about six years. Um, it's like an ode to the North Atlantic. Um, and he created this beautiful sort of visual poem and then he had passed this film over to CJ to score. Um, and some of the film had only just, only just, like, almost days before the screening, had only just been locked in. So right. CJ was having to compose, like, at the very last minute for this live performance. So a live audiovisual performance, you've got this beautiful film on screen, you've got CJ... Um, playing a, a synthesizer, uh, electric guitar. Um, Leanne Curran is part of the band. She's uh, composing as well. Got strings. You've got CJ at one point bowing a clothes horse, which blew everyone's mind. I'm not going to go into more detail than that on the clothes horse. Um, so um, I've actually been working with them to help them take translate. Um, to a global audience but um, obviously coronavirus had other ideas <laughs> I mean it was unfortunate wasn't it the timing yeah. because the whole idea I think Chris coming from a filmmaker background was that he enjoyed the engagement with the audience um, it was almost I think for a filmmaker you have a different experience for like so CJ Murrah he's used to performing in front of an audience and getting that kind of engagement and feedback whereas I think when Chris did it the first time he he could like tap into that energy and the first time he did it there was a like almost an element of visual mixing going mm. on as well wasn't mm. there so the idea with this project was to take it around the world to 
different um, festivals and different performances. Um, but obviously the timing was a little bit unfortunate. And Demi was acting as a producer, weren't you, for the for the project? Yeah. Um, so now, um, as opposed to taking the live AV around the world, um, Chris is actually going to be releasing the film, um, we hope, at the end of the year. And John Sampson, um, who is CJ Mirror, uh, is actually releasing the soundtrack to translate at the end of the year as well. So his first single is, um, it dropped actually in August, and um, I think his his second major release with Leanne Curran, Saint Raison, um, has just dropped actually as well. Oh, great. Well, we'll share that information uh, so that our uh, our listeners can, can pick those up. I would say that um, I think one Chris Chris McLean um, is one of the kind of reasons that we did the festival because when you look back um, kind of ten years ago, I think our ideals in starting the festival was um, to give a platform to up and coming British surf filmmakers because we kind of looked around the world and we went, well, the the British surf filmmakers that are coming through are as good as anywhere in the world you know, the the content they're producing. So our idea with the festival was to give them a platform on the global stage. And I think Chris is a great example of someone who has come through and has inspired... I mean, you see films coming out of, you know, countries around the world that are clearly inspired by, you know, Chris's style. Um, And Mm. I think he's just one of the, you know, many success stories that have come through the festival you know i think our idea was to give them a platform and it's great to see them go onto a global stage and and promote you know uh uk surfing and uk and irish surfing to a to a global audience absolutely because i think our the surf culture that we have in the uk and our experience of surfing is so very different to for example the californian or the australian experience and i think people people don't necessarily have the confidence to um I don't know, celebrate their own culture. So almost doing the festival gives yeah. people a platform to do so. We should introduce like a, a kind of a surfing version of, of, of Godwin's Law when talking about surf movies, that the longer a couple of people talk about surf movies, the probability of somebody mentioning Endless Summer approaches. <laughs> um, um, because that, that project is actually, um, whilst being excitingly sort of avant-garde in the way that it's changing the idea of how surf surf movies and and sort of uh surf events or or, you know surf celebration events come together sits really nicely in that kind of really original tradition of surf movie making in the sense that that you know the sandals recorded a kind of a, a you know a single one take soundtrack across endless summer and that bruce brown would then take the shows around and stand there with a mic at the side of the stage sort of you know doing those kind of witty narrations over the top of it and that the showing of a movie um is a, a collective event like an arts event that you can go to and uh, and I suppose that's that's interesting because you know so much of surf movie consumption in probably the 80s and the 90s was done off a of VHS uh, a black diamond VHS and sort of you know quickly watch a session before you went in the sea to amp up and now there's a real appetite for getting together to watch surf movies again, isn't there? And, and even through the lockdown, then you guys have facilitated that with, you know, because people felt like they were sort of part of something when you knew you were watching one of those movies at the same time as so many other people. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, 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 like all great projects, it's sort of got that kind of awareness of the traditions that have come before it. But complete innovation on sort of where to go next yeah I think definitely and I think the nice crossover there is that there's always that element of risk isn't there there's it always captures that sort of ephemeral nature of surfing in itself where you go every wave is different so you you might score you might not yeah yeah and you have that when you have a live element within a surf movie whether that's a narrator or a live event or live music you're you're bringing in that sense of actually, this is real, this is live, this is occurring. It has that same, yeah, ephemeral nature, I think, mm. um, which is why it's so lovely. Like, there, is, there will be no two times the same, same as in surfing. Yeah. If you're, even if you're narrating and you, you're reading from a script, 
your cadence is going to be different. Absolutely. Can I ask, actually, then, you mentioned the word script. Can I ask about your writing work? Because that was, I suppose, when the, the London Surf Film Festival idea occurred to you, you already had a kind of a skill set that you'd both acquired from the books that you put together. Um, because you guys are, are behind the, the footprint guides uh, Surfing in Europe and Surfing in Britain, um, and then Chris's later footprint book as well. What gave, what, what, how did that come about in the first place? Europe was the first one, right? Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we, I think we kind of came to a, a crossroads in, in our careers in that. So Demi was doing the uh, PR and marketing for Quicksilver in the UK, working with like uh, Phil Jarrett, you know, an absolute legend who was yeah one based of the, one of Europe. the surf writers of our of our age, yeah, yeah, and um, Jeff Hackman, and you know, like l- leading this amazing life. Um, I was um, editing a surf magazine, a surf skate snowboard magazine, based in the north of England and and we met through um, kind of going I was going to Quicksilver events uh, and met Demi there and um, I think after a year of being together we basically went let's just pack our jobs in and go on the road run off into the sunset together yeah (laughs) Um, and we bought Winnebago and packed our jobs in and went off and spent a year on the road basically traveling around Europe with this notion that we were going to write this book you know like 100% confident in our mind that we were going to come back and write this book and that people would want to buy it um and you were correct <laughs> well <laughs> and we'd go around we like we went from the Orkney Isles to the south of Morocco and every time we met people they'd go hey so what are you guys doing and we were like oh yeah we're writing a book and they'd go yeah okay right I mean we didn't have a publisher we just kind of we quit our jobs with a with quite a firm idea in mind about what we wanted to do we went we want to do a book which helps you maximize your water time so it's part travel guide part surf guide part stories part ideas for what to do when it's flat because inevitably it will be um but that's all we had was a a firm idea and quite a strong and naive belief in the fact that we would simply get a book published if we wanted to write it. And I mean, you're a writer, Tom, you know that it doesn't necessarily work like that. Well, do you know what? I can tell you a story. I don't know if you know this story about luck as a writer. When I had my first big meeting where it looked like there was a chance that the first book I wrote, Riding the Magic Carpet, was actually going to get bought by this publisher. I was invited to Chelsea Arts Club, for lunch and we were going to meet this with with my with the agent that had sort of picked my book up and was was willing to take a punt on it and we were going to meet with the editor of Summersdale and they were they were going to show up and you know they'd been reading it and we were basically going to find out whether they were interested in seeing more or not or even if they they'd do a deal and um somebody phoned me a friend of mine the day before and said hey there's a photo of you in a book and I said right okay where and they said it's the footprint guide to surfing in Britain, and uh, it was it was in the Outer Hebrides, um, a, a nice in the water tube shop by Mark Lumsden, um, who sadly passed away uh, recently. So rest in peace, Mark. Um, and uh, I went into Waterstones and I bought it, and I took it with me, and then the agent went, "Oh, we'll make this work." Right here we go. And then the Summersdale woman turned up and sat down, and. Uh, the agent said, right, well, as you can see, surfing is the hot thing at the moment to be publishing books about. Look at this. This is this is in the front window of Waterstones on, on um, the King's Road at the moment. And if we flick to this page, you'll see a photograph of Tom, she goes. And the publisher went, oh, wow, wow, wow. You know, and I was sort of sitting there with my leg actually in a plaster cast at the time, trying my best to look like a surfer. Um, and I think I'd been to the FA Cup final the day before, and uh, and I, and it, it was only on a whim that I didn't wear my Arsenal shirt to uh, to the meeting, and uh, and it was about two minutes later that the publisher ended up sort of committing and going right. Well, we love it. We'll do it. And so, uh, for all I know, you guys' editorial decision that you made there to include that picture of me instead of the twenty thousand other ones of the Australian Jason Duffy getting even more barreled at the same wave, um, <laughs> that 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 might have been the difference. So you know, there's. There's karma in this world, isn't there? Oh, I had no idea. That's I, that's so lovely. Do we get a, like a, a cut 
That's not yeah. a bad idea. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, 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 we'll organise. We'll see if we can get them to buy us lunch in the Chelsea Arts Club to discuss it, shall we? Yeah, yeah. that'd be nice. <laughs> it's funny though, isn't it? Because there was that weird little magic window um, when surfing was really hot, and like surf books. I mean, it, it's it's weird now because obviously publishing is in a in quite dire straits. But there was that magic window in that period where surf books were were selling really well. There was a real appetite for for surf publishing. And I remember one day, like you do when you have a book, you go on and you check how it's doing. And and we were in the top twenty selling books on Amazon. You know, it, wow. it was like this amazing window, wasn't there, where yeah. you were just people people would be there was a real consumption going on there was a real people loved reading about surfing and i maybe to do with like nowadays with the internet and the immediacy of you know word and con, you know people can consume on a daily basis but they did used to be like people would go in and buy a book and read a book yeah. and you know that kind of um need for surf culture mm. and then on the back of the two footprint guides, you did Cold Water Souls, Chris, which was sort of, um, it, you know, it, it, there was a lot of pictures in the book. Um, I, it's not quite a coffee table, is it? Because it, it was sort of half paperback, half coffee table book. And it was basically an homage to enjoying the cold. Yeah, it kind of fell between the two, didn't it? I mean, yeah. it, it, what I did was I went... On, a, on like a three-year mission, sounds a bit Star Trek-y, but um, what happened was I got, I got sent to Vancouver Island um, to write an article for the very first issue of Hook magazine. And right. it was about the cold water surf community there. And it was at a time when people, I mean, as British surfers, we know all about surfing in the cold. But I think the wider public didn't really know about this and they didn't know that there were surfers in places like Canada and so I went to um, Vancouver Island and I wrote about the community and I did something for I think it was the independent newspaper um, and people were like oh wow we never knew this existed um, but while I was there I met a guy and he was one of the pioneers of surfing on Vancouver Island and I felt that there were a lot of similarities between this guy's story and the story of where I started surfing in the Northeast, um, I could see the kind of the commonality and the, the, the history seemed to be very similar. And I thought, I bet there are communities like this all around the world that people don't really know about, but share this common bond of, you know, surfing in wetsuits, like having to find surfboards when there are no surf shops. And so I spent basically three years going around the world and finding these people and it was a little bit like a, a detective story you know so we you know I went to um, Nova Scotia um, obviously I'd done a lot of trips to um, the north of Scotland but I went to Iceland um, Hokkaido in Japan and um, the people that I met there you know their stories were very different but also had a lot of common bonds but um, the thing I liked about it was, like I said, it was a bit of a detective story in that um, uh, finding the, the the pioneers, like finding the very first person who surfed on Hokkaido, you know, that that was the thing that I found really interesting. And meeting someone who'd go, well, my friend surfed before me. Maybe you should talk to him. Mm. And then they'd introduce <laughs> you and then then they'd introduce you to someone else. And then finally you'd find like the very first surfer. Um, yeah. And and they would go, yeah, no one's ever asked me about it before. <laughs> and then you knew you'd got there. Well, how was the surf on Hokkaido? The, the surf on Hokkaido is amazing. I mean, it's primarily known as like a, a snow sport destination. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the place for powder in the world, isn't it? Yeah. And, um, you know, like, it, it, it sounds ridiculous, but, you know, you see, you're used to seeing these images of like four by fours with trailers and jet skis on the back. But in Hokkaido, they have a similar thing. But under the cover, rather than a jet ski, they have like a skidoo. And they'll <laughs> skidoo into these surf breaks because, wow. you know, they get 15 feet of powder every every winter. Yeah. And I think what was interesting about Coldwater Souls was that, yes, some of these destinations 
you know, you had read about them in magazines, but what was interesting is that they always focused on the surfers they took with them to go and surf in these places as opposed to looking at actually the communities that already exist there. So I think for me, that's what I really enjoyed about Coldwater Souls is that it was actually talking about the people who had who had who'd begun surfing there in spite of the challenges and almost had overlooked those challenges, mm. had just accepted them as part of their natural existence. We spoke to Sam Bleakley a couple of weeks ago on Crest and uh, Sam was telling us that he feels that the real sort of essence of travel writing is is interacting with those communities. And he made a very similar point to you, actually, Demi, that this idea that, you know, a lot a lot of the, the traditional surf trip, you're exactly right, is, you know, we, we go, we conquer, you know, we write up, we, we, we plug the surfers who are, who've got the stickers on the end of their boards that have come on our trip. And um, that was kind of what Sam said he thought was, was the essence of good travel writing is when it's about, you know, you travel to a place and, um, and learn the, the condition of its people. So, uh, yeah, um, it's interesting to hear you, you, you know, you then making the same point. In fact, maybe we'll, we'll talk about travel at this point because, um, I wanted to ask you guys about, uh, two things and I suppose they kind of come together. Um, it's, it's through you guys actually that, um, I own a single fin because um, I'd always kind of written off single fin in as an idea. And then uh, and then um, a conversation with you guys completely convinced me to get a single fin. And, and, and I now realise that they're a wonderful thing. And I remember in this conversation, you were talking about how you were going to Indo with a quiver of single fins. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and that you were going to surf, you know, yeah, the waves of Indonesia and uh, you know with with that quiver and i remember yeah j- j- so so perhaps can you can you tell us a bit about your your both of you have a love of indonesia uh, and yeah the the wave crafts that you use there yeah i mean that would have been i wonder if that would have been that the it, trip to java it was java yeah you don't need to necessarily name anywhere more specific if uh, if you don't want to yeah it was java yeah uh, so interestingly i think on that trip I think you had a single fin. I think I had my quad, but I think I ended up riding my surf mat as well. Yeah. I mean, it was funny because the place that we were staying at, because um, we've always had a love of riding like all kinds of crafts. And um, Demi was unloading her board bag. And I think there was an Aussie there and he went, "Ah, oh, man, you got a surf mat. And then he pulled out his surf mat. Yeah. And then there was another couple staying and they brought their surf mats as well. So... In this random corner of Java, suddenly the lineup was filled with surf mats. I think there were three of us out one day and we were all riding over each other on these mats and people were just looking at us like, what are they doing? Like the locals. Yeah, the locals were going, what what even is this? Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, I'd say they're a great thing to have in your quiver. They're really light. They roll up. Mm. You know, the airlines aren't going to ding them. Um... Uh yeah, I think it's just about being a little bit adaptable. Yeah. Um, um, and I think we... Uh, like, I, I don't know where we got our love of alternative craft from. It could be from Trickster, I suppose. Yeah. Like our third wheel at the festival, Nick Holden. Tricks, there's this Trickster Nick. Yes. Right, yeah. So Nick, for years, ran the World Bellyboard Contest at our local beach, Chapel Porth, which is basically riding wooden bellyboards from the 1920s, um, which got to a point where it was attracting four or 500 people. Yeah. Like every year. Um, and he's a lover of alternative craft. Um, and then the, the three of us, we used to do the slider cup, which is the Finns free uh, friction affliction society, which was surf mats, belly boards, hand planes, and pipos. Um, and then we did the five to one fin fair yeah which was a surf event which basically involved everything from a, a five fin bonza down to a, a single fin so i guess what we're saying is we've always liked looking at what else is out there in terms of riding waves like not having fixed opinions about what type of boards mm. go well or what type of craft go well um 
And actually, it's funny because um, I've just talk- just been talking to Nick because he's got. I think they're going to be running the single fin shootout mm-hmm. this coming October. A bit gangster, so I don't know if I should have mentioned it, but you know, <laughs> it's out there now. I believe uh, that you came and represented the mighty whales at the Approaching Lines International Festival of Surf. I did, as a, yeah, on on a single fin. It was a single fin invitational, yeah, and I, I really enjoyed it because the surf was pumping, and uh, I went in order to uh, to respect the equipment re- requirements. Went surfing in pumping waves on a single fin. And the epiphany was complete because, um, you know, before that I'd thought, yeah, OK, I'm going to play around with a single fin then. But I sort of stuck it to kept a surf that wasn't necessarily ideal. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, and I suppose that was where, you know, you guys were telling me about using them in Indo that really kind of opened my eyes. Is Indonesia the place outside of Cornwall then that, that, that really captures your hearts as a, as a travel destination? I guess I, it's been a bit of a revelation, hasn't it? Because I think for yeah. years, because coming from the northeast, I was always drawn to your Scotlands and Islands and the colder places. So, like, we'd if we had a trip, we'd go maybe to Norway, wouldn't yeah. we? And and surf these points in the middle of nowhere with like four locals and pumping surf. And then my sister moved to Kuala Lumpur about what? About ten years ago, eight eight years ago. Yeah, and since then it's been a really great uh, combination of family and fun. It's All such right. a great yeah. jumping off point. You know, once you get to KL, you can oh, hop you can on a flight. Anywhere, and yeah. It's opened up Indo for us, and we've just, yeah. you know, the whole surfing in shorts and has been a revelation. And yeah, in fact, we had a friend who moved to Bali just at the very start of lockdown and she's been saying to us oh got a spare room <sighs> so you know as and when um travel opens up although oh i don't know actually i don't know i, I feel a bit like at the moment i'm probably looking closer to home although um not last christmas not last was it January, the January before we went to um, the North Shore of Hawaii for the first time, which was a revelation, having never considered going there, um, just going to the the mecca of surfing, mm. it, it was just an absolutely awesome experience. Yeah, it was definitely a highlight getting to um, body surf and at Waimea. <laughs> I was about to ask you if you had your if you had the surf mat in your quiver, Demi. Um, we I actually I had to buy um, swim fins on the North Shore, so that was like my my little thing I brought home with me. But also I realised that um, body surfing on the North Shore in a swimsuit is not ideal. <laughs> so that was a good life lesson there. Um, yeah, you want something quite tight fitting, I'd say. <laughs> To avoid uh, awkward moments. Yeah. <laughs> but an awesome experience. Like, for years I'd always gone, oh, you know what, I, you interview people about the North Shore and basically you hear what is, like, a horror highlights reel of, yeah. you know, I nearly drowned, I nearly got killed by the locals, you know, like, just horror stories, but to actually go there and experience it. You know, there's nothing like standing on the beach and watching Third Reef pipeline breaking, you know, and and seeing these, like, humongous waves and feeling the beach shake. It was... And getting sweaty palms, even though you know that you have no intention of going in at pipe, but just getting sweaty palms, just standing on the beach there watching it, it's just... Yeah. Yeah. That was that was quite something, and it was nice because we were there, we were there for work, so we got to kind of experience the North Shore through those sort of eyes, sort of being taken around the North Shore. Yeah, let's talk about what you're doing at the moment then. So you've both been working on documentaries now yourselves, and and uh, you've been involved in the Ripple Effect. Was was it uh, Tim Baker who wrote the earlier of the Ripple yes. Effect? So Tim Tim did season one. Um, 
Yeah. And it was directed by Peter Hamblin. Right. Um, and we knew Pete through the festival. And I think Tim was unable to do season two, so we were chatting with Pete, and Pete said, hey, you guys are writers. Um, do you fancy doing the script for season two? And we went, yeah, sure. Yeah. And then he went, okay, so on Monday, you're talking to the guys who founded Wired magazine. <laughs> and so we were literally thrown in <laughs> at the deep end. Straight in the deep end. Yeah. 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 But it was, it's, it's really nice because it's, it was sort of, it went from talking to, you know, like legends in surfing and surf culture right through to talking to, um, like, the guy who founded Atari, um, yeah. the guys who founded, like you said, um, Wired Magazine, Twitch, which is a massive gaming platform, um, yeah. all kinds of different um, people. Oh, the artist. Uh, Robert Williams. Yeah. Um, and that's lovely being able to operate both within surf culture but also within the sort of the realms of like youth culture and technology and emerging technologies yeah and tell us also about the jack o'neill project yeah the jack o'neill that i mean that was quite amazing in that um obviously when when jack passed away o'neill wanted to do a tribute film to jack um but they also wanted it turning around in time for the paddle out so i think we basically had something like a five-day turnaround for the script. Um, and one of the things about Jack is, um, for, for someone who was such a surfing legend, he didn't do any interviews, you know? He was quite a private person, so, uh, you know, t talking to the O'Neill people, um, they set us up talking with Jack's close personal friends at a time when Jack had just passed away. And so we got to talk to the people about Jack and about the person behind the legend and, you know, um, his life and um, his loves and, you know, that like what inspired him. And so that was what we wanted the film to be quite a personal thing about Jack himself. Um, Something that his both his friends would recognise but also those people who um, knew him as the founder of, a, you know, a major sort of surf movement and, and company would also recognise. So it's like yeah. tipping that fine line between intimacy and, you know, business and making sure that you are mentioning someone's highlights from their career. And, and at such a sensitive time period as well. Yes. Yeah. You know, when the people closest to him would, uh, you know, will be at their most sensitive yeah, I mean, it was it was a very moving experience because you, we were talking to people and they would be in tears remembering things that Jack had done and moments, which is hard. Like as a writer, those are the things you need. You need those mm. special moments, but also trying to tease those moments out. You have to be um, very sensitive and um, tread carefully. Um, yeah, and let's. To to finish this uh, this episode off, then let's uh, let's we've been asking our uh, followers and and friends throughout the last week to say their favourite surf films and why. And we've we've had uh, we've had we've had lots of mentions of North Shore and lots of people sharing uh, sharing lines from North Shore and testing each other as to who knows the script best. Um, what about and other movies as well? What about? Um, you guys then, festival or not, favourite surf movies of all time, what would they be? Go on, Dan, you can go first. All right, so I'm going to think within the festival timeline because okay. there are so many surf movies and I think for me I find it very hard because it's always dependent on my mood, you know? Right. Like, are, are you feeling morning of the earth? Are you feeling litmus? Are you feeling North Shore? So I'm going to say my... Two of my standout films, because I can't even limit that to one. I'd say Stoked and Broke. Just great concept, great filmmakers. It's it's funny, it's moving, it's got all of the surf craft in it. That, to me, is just such a wonderful film. And um, Come Hell or High Water. When anyone ever says to me, what's the perfect length for a surf movie? I 
always come back to Come Hell or High Water because I look at the fact that Keith Malloy managed to sum up a surfing subculture in its entirety, the body surfing world, in 45 minutes, so eloquently, so beautifully, great cinematography. Um, So those are two of my, just two of my favourites. I could go on and on and on. I'll stop there. I'd go um, uh, to Litmus because that was a film that had a huge impact on me Um, because for me it was like the first time you'd seen surfing that wasn't all, you know, uh, blue seas, board shorts, palm trees, Um, you know, the fact that they were in Ireland and surfing like grey seas and oh yeah seeing it on on uh, like I think I wore out my VHS that um, Joel Fitzgerald yeah. section at Pampers oh and um, Night- get you- nightmares off it still <laughs> Tom Curran you know yeah. and and also as well that was the other thing that they did which was they they brought in the older generation of surfers who were no longer surfing in the contest but they still were like these people are still relevant they're still yeah. um affecting surf culture um and we there's, there's a wave of mickey dora yes litmus going down the line at j bay and it can't have been you know much more than a year before he passed away yeah and yeah. uh, and and uh, as he goes down they're talking about whoever whoever it is is, is narrating talking about the joy that mickey dora had in wave riding um, yeah, yeah, very Derek, memorable. Derek Hind. It's Derek Hind, yeah. Yeah, yeah. riding all kinds of weird, what we thought were weird boards back then. You know, he was on the <laughs> fish. Now they're not, yeah. You know, he, it, it was, it, it basically was a, was a pioneering film in so many ways. Um, and we did a screening, didn't we, at the, on, the, on the big screen at the Riverside. Um, and I remember saying, because it brought back so many memories, and I remember... If you went to someone's house who was a surfer and you saw the orange cover of Litmus on their bookshelf, you immediately knew what sort of person they were. You know, it kind of, it <laughs> was like ticking a box and going, yeah, yeah. You, you know, you get Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And were you going to name another one then? Um, I mean, you've got to go back to like Free Ride, I think, for me. Just, right. uh, again, just such an iconic film. Great soundtrack, great yeah, surfing. Soundtrack, yeah. uh, just, you know, Iconic moments from surfing in that film that you can just tick off. Mm. Um, the 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 Mark Richards and and um, Sean Thompson double barrel ride. You know where Sean Thompson's deeper in the barrel <laughs> yeah. than Mark than Richards. Are, yeah. And we were chatting yeah. to Sean Thompson about in it, giant right? back door as well. And Sean Thompson said that that wave changed his life because he was deeper than Mark Richards, and Mark Richards was on a twin fin, and Sean said that he was on a single fin, and he went. That's why single fins are better than twin fins. And so he didn't make the transition to twin fins, and Mark Richards did. And Mark Richards went on to win four world oh, titles wow. in a row. So that was a huge moment in surf history then. I, yeah, did, I yeah. did not realise the, uh, the, the, the effect of that, the butterfly effect of that moment. Yeah, yeah. Incredible. Uh, I, I, for me, I like the... Uh, did, have you guys ever met Jack McCoy? Yes. Yes. Yeah, we met you him have. actually in San Sebastian at Sancho's Festival. Yeah, very tall. Is he? Yes. He was 100% like Mr. Aloha, wasn't he? He was. Very mellow. Like, you know, when you look at his films, these Billabong films, you expect him to be really high energy. But yeah. he was quite a chilled cat, wasn't he? He was so chilled, yeah. I, I like the... I'm going to... We're talking about moments in surf history. I reckon the Billabong challenge movies that he made. Now, I know that, you know, Sick Joy is probably his best cinematography or, you know, the documentary is a, is a brilliant documentary or whatever. But the Billabong challenges, besides bringing Oki off the couch and then giving us the 1999 world champ, I think probably made the Dream Tour happen, didn't they? Um, because, you know, it was about this idea of, like, let's, let's make... A, a surf movie with the with the kind of trippy Jack McCoy sentimentality, um, but as a but we'll structure it around a contest and we'll have vests and jerseys and and all of that and you know so psychedelic desert groove Billabong challenge, uh, Billabong challenge two at J Bay and then the the junior ones that they made wide open and uh, oh gosh I forget the name of the other one, um, yeah those would be it for me and then what about what's out at the moment I've loved. Some of the now that we've got such good cameras available to so many people, some of the documentaries out there, the Laura Enova one, Undone, yeah. absolutely blew my mind. That that is 
everyone has to watch that in 2020. Um, have you got any recommendations at the moment? Um, I would so firmly second that. I, I watched Undone and, um, yeah, it absolutely blew me away. She's It's that thing where she's everything you think she is and more. She's so unassuming. Yeah. She's so... She's so small and fun and free, and the waves she surfs really are not. They are so heavy. Um, and you know what? It made me go, when I paddle out, I need to be more Laura Enever. Um, and the other film where I p- went, oh, I need to be more like that, was Pentecostal. I don't know if you've seen that. Um, right, yeah. I think that's available. I think you can watch it on YouTube, actually. But Yeah, it's on YouTube, yeah. Honestly, some of that cinematography is absolutely stunning you know we were saying about those camera angles that kind neville has where you're missing the bottom of the wave and it's all about the action above the lip it kind of plays with that notion again and the music is so good it's just so much guitar in it i felt so amped up that i that every time i paddle out now i'm going pentecostal yeah it's 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 so good and the the animation oh, wow. in the opening right, well that's that's all crest listeners homework for this week then yeah the animation in those opening credits as well beautiful just mm. incredible just mind-blowing mm. i'd second that yeah mm. oh thanks for the recommendations guys i well and thanks for coming it's been an absolute blast talking to the pair of you um thank you so much for your time and um we'll uh We'll be sharing any information as soon as we get it about what's going to be happening with your uh, with your with your next festival plans, and let's hope that we get everything up and running as fully as we possibly can as as soon as possible. Um, and yeah, just thanks so much for for doing what you're doing, and thanks for your time. Oh, do you know what this has been so fun? Yeah, thanks it's, for having us. It's so nice, like catching up with friends and getting to talk about all the things that we love. Yeah, yeah, like yeah we could go for another hour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we could, but uh, App- Apple podcast statistics tell us that we're not supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't get into algorithms. Uh, well, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. We've... Goodness me. The year of algorithms 2020. <laughs> Thank you very much, guys. So, as mentioned at the start, there will be an extra crest this week as we align our release date with Thursdays for our final three episodes. If you've enjoyed this episode and haven't done so yet, then do subscribe to us via either of the big four, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram and send us any feedback via castcrest at gmail.com. And keep an eye out for that survey next month. What's left in terms of shows for season one? Well, our 2020 finale will be a special double episode, part one coming out on October the 1st, and part two a week later. Who could possibly merit two shows in such a manner? It will be worth the wait, I can assure you. In the meantime, you'll need to wait three days now to hear my discussion with the Irish slab charger and extreme traveller Owen McCarthy Deering. It'll be sitting on your platform of choice this Thursday morning. Enjoy, moin hewch. Thanks for listening to this one, Jolham Grando, and see you then. Gwelechi bore yai, pao. Hi all, it's producer Dodd here again. Thanks to Chris and Demi there, I found that one really interesting. Just a quick update to say that the London Surf Film Festival, which was originally scheduled for this autumn, has actually been postponed due to the ongoing COVID pandemic. It's not all bad news though, as it's not cancelled, and all being well, we can look forward to it in the spring. 